morning to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 8. And we're continuing to take notice this morning of uh, the Beatitudes, as we call them, these proclamations of, of blessedness. Right? Jesus describing who are those whom God declares blessed. Now, if God declares them blessed, you can be sure that God's going to bless them. And this morning, in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 8, we have the sixth of these uh, statements, the sixth beatitude here in this chapter that the Lord uh, begins this uh, sermon with, as Matthew records it, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And we're considering this morning those happy ones who shall see God. Those happy ones, or those happy persons who shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, the great and wise instructor in truth and righteousness, the revealer of truth and righteousness, the one that leads in the paths of truth and righteousness, who is truth and righteousness, and who teaches in all the ways of God. He continues in his doctrine to describe those of the blessed class, you might say. These are the truly blessed, those who are blessed of the Lord. Remember when uh, the, the Philistine uh, king and his captain came to Abraham and then uh, and to Isaac likewise later and you know they wanted to make a uh, and a, a mutual uh, peace pact or peace treaty with them because they said thou art the blessed of the Lord these that the Lord is teaching of are they to whom Jesus will one day say come thou ye blessed of my father Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Look back in the Old Testament, Psalm uh, 115. We'll be turning back to the Psalms uh, a few times as we make Scripture references throughout the message this morning. But Psalm number 115. And again, Jesus here in His doctrine, He's continuing to describe those they're the same ones he's been describing. It's the same people, the blessed of the Lord. But notice here in Psalm 115, verse 12, The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Ye are blessed of the Lord which made heaven and earth. And so, that's who he's describing. 
Those who are blessed of the Lord. And you need to be diligent. You need to, uh, if you're, if you make sure of anything, you need to make sure of this: that he's talking about you, that you are in that category, that you're in that uh, class, if you will, the blessed of the Lord. Now. As we have done with some of the other Beatitudes, we do the same with this one. Let's begin at the end and work our way back to the beginning of it. He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is describing that happy state. They shall see God. What's that mean? It's talking about how they are going to stand in the glorious presence of God. For all eternity they shall see God. As a member of the congregation of the righteous, accepted by God in His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and they shall behold the glorious and smiling face of the great God and Savior of all. They shall see God. They shall stand in His presence, admitted and accepted by Him. He will be happy to see them. Look in Psalm 24. Psalm number 24. And verse number 3, here the psalmist, he is describing this very same thing. He puts it here as in a question form in Psalm 24, verse 3. Jesus put it in the, the, uh, a statement form. He just said, they shall see God. Well, here the psalmist asks, well, who are they? that shall see God. He says in verse 3, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in His holy place? Who's going to be in the presence of God? He said, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Now I want to read the rest of these verses here, but it's, bear in mind it's under this, uh, this same statement, right? The pure in heart shall see God. He said, who? In verse 3, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Oh, he that clean hands and a pure heart. He said in the next verse. But I want you to notice here what he describes in verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? 
the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. See, and so you can uh, picture in your mind here, it's like a king who has been victorious in battle, in war, against all his foes, and he's coming back, and he's entering into not only his capital city, but his, his palace, and going up to be seated upon his throne. Well, in this case, who is it? He said, it's the Lord of hosts. He's the King of glory. That's what he's talking about. Who they're going to stand in his holy place, ascend into the hill of the Lord. And so, when he describes here about they shall see God, they shall be admitted into the presence of the great King of glory and stand in his presence beholding him face to face not incurring his displeasure but rather his pleasure and delight that's the blessing that is being described you remember when Mordecai was urging Esther to go in unto King Ahasuerus and plead for the Jews that they would not fall prey to the uh, wicked plot of Haman who had devised uh, a means of their uh, annihilation, right? He was going to, uh, he had official uh, authority from the Persian, em Persian emperor to commit genocide against the Jews, right? Kill all the Jews. I mean, he was the, he, he was at it long before there was ever a, a Hitler or any of the others who have tried. I know Pharaoh, back there in the book of Exodus, he preceded him. But you see, you remember her, she initially protested, she said, and resisted Mordecai's urgings because she said, Hey, if I, if I try to go in there into the presence of the king and I haven't been called for, I haven't been summoned, and, and he's in a bad mood, doesn't want to see me, they'll just kill me. Right? You, you cannot just go into the presence of the king. But these, Jesus says, they shall see God, the king of all. Look in Revelation 21. I know this should be very familiar since we've been studying the book of Revelation so recently, especially these last chapters. Revelation 21. And you remember John when he was given the view of the, of the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, and he says there in Revelation 21, verse 3, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. 
Well, in the next chapter, gets even more specific. In verse 3 and 4, on verse 1, he describes the throne of God and of the Lamb because the uh, river of water of life clear as crystal proceeds from it. And he said in verse 3, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face. And His name shall be in their foreheads. There won't be, you know, say pointing at a distance and saying, well, over there, right, that, that, that palace over there, that's the Lord's and His thrones there. No, they're going to see Him. Dwell in His presence. And He will be glad to have them dwelling with Him. We perhaps do not Unless we stop and we really, you know, take consideration and think about it. Which I know, right? Who wants to do that when it comes to a sermon? Right? It's like everybody's looking at the clock, looking at their watch. Is it over yet? We need to seriously consider the Word of God. But you know, we don't, without carefully and, and specifically thinking about this, we don't necessarily realize what it's saying. In olden times, as I've made reference you know, to one example, you could not just get in to see the king. You couldn't even just get in to see the governor or any other lesser official or ruler. You had to, uh, you, you needed a real good reason. And they had to want to see you. And even if you did get in, they wouldn't necessarily be pleased to see you and you may not get what you were, what you were seeking. Right? They may not well, grant you favor. In fact, things might not go the way you had hoped at all. And yet, you know, in our so-called modern times that we live in, you'd still find it difficult, probably impossible, you know, if you were to try to get in to see the president of our own nation. You know, I know people go and they, they visit, you know, the, the capital city of our nation and they go and they visit the, the different buildings that are there and you can, there's certain, I, I, I assume you can still get in and take tours of the White House. I don't know, I know it's not as, you know, Things aren't as open as they used to be because of, you know, how violent and all the various things that have taken place and other concerns. But you know, you you couldn't just go in, you couldn't just go up to the gate and say, Oh, I'd like to see the president. They'd say, Yeah, you and a whole bunch of others. You know, you'd, sometimes you'd have a hard time even getting, a, getting in to see your own elected representative or senator, even though they all claim, you know, oh, we, we so care so much about our constituents. You would most likely not gain an audience with the governor of our own state. Unless somebody else, you know, smoothed the way for you that already had the, you know, the inside track, as they say. You know, you might even have a difficult time getting to see the mayor of one of these little villages or towns that we live in. 
And of course, you should have a good reason for wanting to see him. But what I'm saying is, Jesus here is teaching and speaking about those who shall stand accepted, favored, and delighted in by God in the glorious and holy presence of the Almighty, ever-living One, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Creator of heaven and earth. They shall see God. didn't say they shall see Caesar. They shall see Herod. They shall see God. Not only is this so, that Jesus is speaking of this happy estate of being able to dwell in the presence of and approach under the very person and throne of God and abide in His joyful presence, being both received and delighted in by Him and delighted with Him. But let's not also fail to consider that Jesus is describing something that apart from the miraculous working of divine mercy, grace, loving kindness, and power would be quite impossible. You need to think about that. They shall see God. You realize that's not even humanly possible. You couldn't get anywhere near God. Remember the words of God to Moses? Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Not even the man Moses, so great and highly favored as he was, as faithful as he was in all that the Lord commanded him. That's what the Bible says. It says he was faithful in all his house. The Bible calls him the servant of the Lord. Moses, the man of God. I mean, he taught God, God even rebuked some others, you know, when they got a little too big for their britches. And he said, he said, I speak to Moses face to face like a man talks to his friend. Right? Because Moses was, he was, he was, he was near enough to the Lord, right? He came out and his face shone from the reflected glory of God. But he said, but he still didn't, he didn't see God. Right? He says, no man can see me and live. But not even, not even the man Moses. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Right? They shall see God. Now, we don't, you know, sometimes we read over things in the scriptures. We don't take the time and give it the consideration to really appreciate what it's saying. First Timothy chapter six, verse thirteen. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see. Whom be honor and power everlasting, amen. Dwelling in the light 
which no man can approach unto. You can't get near him. Can't get near him. No man has seen nor can see. John the Apostle wrote in John chapter 1 verse 18 when he's talking about the Lord and how he came was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. And he said, no man hath seen God at any time. So you see, Jesus is describing something that is quite impossible. As far as men, women, boys, and girls are concerned, they cannot see God in and of themselves. And yet Jesus declares, the pure in heart shall see God. With men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So I want you to understand, take serious consideration of just what it is that Jesus is saying, what it means that they shall see God. This is no light thing. This is not some small or trivial or passing or insignificant. It's not even normal. It's not ordinary. It's not even extraordinary. It's beyond extraordinary. It's miraculous. And it's the chief and incomparable blessing. There's nothing else that equals this. They shall see God. Nothing even comes close to this. Jesus' teaching here reveals there is a prerequisite to seeing God. Right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Right? We saw that in question form again. There in Psalm number 24. There in verse 3 and 4, right? Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. Right? He, he kind of expounds a little about it, upon it there in the 24th Psalm. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Pureness of heart, holiness, they're, they're one and the same. Essentially, they are essential to being in the presence of the living God. Remember the Jews of Jesus' day, just like so many still do, they emphasized outward purity but they lacked purity within. Jesus talked about how he said, you wash the outside of the thing and inside it's full of, of wickedness and excess. Right? He said, you, you, uh, you make the outside beautiful. Right? That's why he said, you're like whited or whitewashed sepulchers. He said, you've, You've painted it all up pretty, made it look real attractive. It says and on the inside, it's got dead men's bones in it. Rotten corpses. 
right? They emphasize the outward, but lack the inward purity. The hypocrite may adorn all of the outward habits and performances of godliness. Let me emphasize that. The hypocrite may adorn all of the outward habits and performances of godliness. But it will be an empty form. Right? Remember how the Bible says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of the... You know what, the, what a form is, right? It's the shape of the thing. They can, they can have the same uh, appearance, but it's a worthless show. It may please the eyes and the opinions of people, but it's rejected entirely by God who sees not as man sees, but looks within upon the heart. Beloved, God looks deep within. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now a lot of people will say they want to separate you know, the heart from, the, from what they do. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way because everything that comes out came from within. That's like people trying to say, well, this here, uh, this here well, right? It's a good well. It's got good clean water. Just don't drink it. That doesn't even make any sense, right? Well, it it just tastes bad and it'll just make you sick if you drink it. But it's a good well. That doesn't even make sense. But that's what people want to claim, you know, about themselves, so, oh, I've got a good heart. I mean well in my heart. But then what comes out of them is of a whole other nature. Well, the Bible doesn't, doesn't approve of that. Right? But beloved, God looks deep within. He looks into the unsearchable depths of the human heart. You know how deep the heart is? It's, un- it's, it's deep. You'll, you'll never get to the bottom of somebody else's. Let me just explain it that way. You, you barely get to the bottom of yours most of the time. But there is the root and the fountainhead of all motives, intentions, desires, values, affections, what you, what you think is important, what you think is unimportant, what you prioritize, what you neglect, what you love, what you hate, what you like, what you dislike, and the subsequent thoughts and words and deeds that spring from that source. Remember what God told the prophet Samuel? He said, The Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And if he had to tell the prophet Samuel that, you can be double sure he's got to tell us that. But look in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. I know you all have this one memorized, but I'm going to read it anyway. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick or living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow. What's that mean? 
when it says piercing even to the dividing asunder. It means it gets all the way in there and cuts it apart. It can, it can get all the way there. Deep down. Like a sword that can pierce and sever apart. He said, even the joints and the marrow. But he's not really talking about bones and flesh, right? He says, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. See, that's what God's word, it gets all the way down into the heart and it uncovers, it discerns, it reveals. It says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. You know what a creature is? That means a created thing. There's nothing and everything's created except God. There's nothing that is not manifest in his sight. Everything is open to his view. All things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He's, he's explaining to you that there's nothing hidden from God. There's not a thought, not a motive, purity of heart or holiness is required. Look in Proverbs chapter 16. Seeing God looketh on the heart. Proverbs chapter 16. In verse number 2, he said, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. But the Lord weigheth the spirits. You see, my ways are, are, are clean in my eyes. Right? I approve of myself. Right? I'd be, there'd be something wrong with me if I did something. I said, well, I, this is... You know, this is wrong. I'm going to do it anyway. Right? Now, I'm... what? And people do things that they know are wrong, but they really don't think they're wrong. Right? They say, well, I, they justify themselves, right? So they, it's clean in their own eyes. He said, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. In verse 9, he said, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. See, a man's heart deviseth his way. The will, the affections, what is loved and hated, and to what degree upon the spectrum of love and hate. The plans, the designs, the devices, the inclinations, and the disinclinations. What you're inclined to, what you're disinclined to. Of every person... Where do they come from? They're in your, from your heart. And they are seen and known and searched out by God. What did God say to Jeremiah? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. Remember when in Acts chapter 1, verse 24, in the surrounding verses, they were having you know business meeting there and they were electing someone to take the office uh, that had been vacated by Judas's chariot, right? To be one of the one of the twelve and one of the, the witnesses of the Lord and of his resurrection, be 
to take that office. The scripture said, let another take his office. And so they were uh, led of the Spirit to elect someone. And they had this business meeting. And remember, before they, before they cast their lots, before they voted, we would say, they prayed that God would guide them and who was picked. They had two candidates. And what was the... They, they, they had two... They, they measured them as far as the, the criteria. Right? It's kind of like when you... When a church calls a pastor, I'll use that as another example, right? And, you know, we have some criteria in the scriptures, don't we? Like 1 Timothy chapter 3. Right, where it gives the qualifications of a pastor, or in other words, those are prerequisites. If they don't meet those, they don't even get, they aren't even considered. Right? They have to meet those before you consider them. And so they had some, they had these two men that they met the qualifications to be considered. But before they picked one of them, what does it say they do in verse 24 of Acts chapter 1? And they prayed and said, Thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. Right? They said, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Now there are many people who while living in disobedience to the plain teachings of the word of God, they like to say, well, you don't know what's in my heart. That's a, well, that's not true. God does. No. Maybe I don't know. I only know what's showing up on the outside. But God does know. And it's also true that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh and the life is lived. Jesus said that. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. In other words, what comes out of your mouth is from the abundance of what's in your heart, right? It just kind of overflowed out of your mouth. So it's very telling, is what Jesus says. Now, Jesus plainly states that the pure in heart shall see God. How came they by this pureness of heart? Because as we know in Jeremiah chapter 17... Right, I already alluded to verse number 10 there where he said, I, the Lord, search the heart. Well, verse 9, right before that, he said, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. It's deceit. In fact, he said it's deceitful above all things. There's nothing more deceitful than the human heart. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That is quite a condemnation. That's quite an indictment, isn't it? And it's God making it. It's true. And just like he said in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 when he says that he saw the that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that the thoughts of the imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. In Psalm number 14, the first three verses, and this is repeated 
pretty much word for word, verbatim, as we would say, in Psalm 53, Psalm 14, Psalm 53, almost identical word for word. And it's repeated because it needs to be emphasized. It's also repeated because people have such a hard time receiving and believing it. But Psalm 14, verses 1, 2, and 3, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and see God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. See, the Lord looked down from heaven. The Lord, He made an examination. Purity of heart is not natural to any person. It is the creation of God. What did did the psalmist say in the 51st Psalm? He said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Let me say that again. It is the creation of God. You know what creation is. We know it with respect to this, this visible world that we live in. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the mighty work of God whereby He called all things into existence and made them. No one else could do that. Create in me a clean heart. Do you understand what it takes to create? It takes something you nor anybody else has. It takes creation power. No one else can purify the sinful heart of man so that a man may know God in this life and see God in the life to come. He who made man's heart must make it clean from sin and purify it entirely. Commenting on this verse, Charles Spurgeon said, There are no pure hearts on earth unless the Lord has made them so. And none shall see God in heaven who have not been purified by grace while here below. How comes this purity of heart to any person? So, how came they by this pureness of heart? It's a creation of God. How did they? How does any person come by it? Well, look in Acts chapter 15. Blessed are the pure in heart. How came they to be pure in heart? Acts chapter 15, verse 7. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit even as He did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, 
purifying their hearts by faith. You see, the purifying of a heart is the work of God. He did it. Peter said, these Gentiles who, who are saved, who, had been, who believe the gospel, God bore witness of it by giving them the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of the Spirit just like He did us. So we couldn't deny it. We couldn't make some kind of excuse and say, well, there's something different about it or they're not really saved or they're going to have to do something else like these false teachers that had crept in and were saying, well, they've still got to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. That's why they were having all this disputing and arguing about it here in this 15th chapter. And Peter said, no, God purified their hearts. By faith, they believed the word of the Lord. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God to the saving of their souls. Right? How's a heart purified? Through the belief of the truth. By the hearing of the word of God. God giving them faith and causing them to receive his word effectually. How does a person wash from the filthiness, the impurity, and the foulment of sin? Only by faith. And that in Jesus Christ as the saving son of God who's able to take away all sin. Look in the book of Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And notice he says that in verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. You see, that's part, that's the, that's part of the foundation. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. In, in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, he says that the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purges your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Right? It's, how is it that what Christ did at Calvary and the offering of Himself without spot to God and, and His sin-removing, sin-cleansing blood, how is it applied to a person so that they're purged from dead works? Their conscience is made right before God. They, they are reconciled to God. By faith. Now I want to have us be careful that we know what purity of heart involves. Look in James chapter 4. Right? Blessed are the pure in heart. 
well, what does this purity of heart involve? Because it's one thing to claim it. And it's another thing to have it actually be so. Look in James chapter 4 and verse 8. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your heart, hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now, again, this sounds a lot like what we read in the Psalms, right? Who shall stand, who shall uh, ascend unto the hill of the Lord, who shall stand in His holy place, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart? Well, James is, he's on the same subject, right? Draw nigh to God. But in order to do that, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Purity of heart is not possible when there is double-mindedness. Many want to have it both ways. They want to be accepted of God, and they want to continue to live in and please the spiritually dead, fleshly nature. They want to sin and yet appear before a holy God. They, they want to uh, name the name of Christ but not depart from iniquity. They want to say, I'm following the Lord but yet continue to do their will, not His will. From a heart of love. In verse 9 and 10 here in James, he said, be afflicted and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. What's that sound like? Blessed are they that mourn. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. What's that sound like? Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's interesting, isn't it? James seems to be referring to the same things as these Beatitudes calling for mourning over sin, humility of spirit before God, and purity of heart. And he's writing to Christians. Those who had already believed and made profession of faith in Christ. And yet he calls upon them to purify their hearts and not be double-minded. You see, there is the purifying accomplished by the creative, redemptive, sanctifying work of God when a soul believes on Christ as the sin-bearing, sin-removing Savior whose blood washed away all sin. Right? Peter said those Gentiles who believed that God purified their hearts by faith. Just like He did us. And now James is telling Christians, those who are saved... Says you need to purify your hearts, not be double-minded. Because there's also the ongoing purifying of the daily Christian life, the motive of which is their hope of seeing God, their blessed and glorious God and Savior. Right? John said, Beloved, he said, He said, It doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, 
even as he is pure. Do we hope to see God? Well, then we'll be purifying ourselves. Right? Look in Psalm number 15. Psalm number 15, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, Peter talked about it. He said, uh, he talked about a, such an entrance being uh, ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Psalm 15, he said, verse 1, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. See, if you speak the truth in your heart, you're also going to speak a certain way with your lips. And you're also going to not speak a certain way. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury or interest, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. By who? Again, it's the same person. Right? Who shall see God? Who shall, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Are you ready to be administered an entrance into the glorious presence of the blessed and holy, holy, holy God, the King of glory, Jehovah of hosts. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So may the Lord help you and bless you. Let's bow our heads.